Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Murder, murder. Okay, full disclosure about this particular episode. Laura and I got into such a bad fight about this episode (laughs) that our first version of this is basically like we trashed it because we really beefed. We did. We did beef. It was a hot day, Laura. Okay. We got to give ourselves a break every once in a while. Right. So you're blaming the heat for the argument? (laughs) (laughs) This is take two. This is take two, folks. Okay. So we're going to try. Laura and I are not. We're going to at least put the gloves on when we box on this. But this is the kind of case that I think really divides people. So let's get to the case and uh, let our listeners decide. Before we do that, we have a, a few shout outs. Friend and sponsor. Ron Winston, who is just a gem of a guy. We just say thank you so much, Ron. From the very beginning, Ron, we really, really appreciate it. And we just wanted to give you a little love. And we also wanted to give a big shout out to Cambridge legend, pilot school, one of the pilot school founders and uh, Cambridge Ringe and Latin teacher, Larry Aronson, who's going through some medical difficulties right now. And uh, he's one of my favorite people to argue with on Facebook. I know. Larry, speedy recovery. Speedy we're wishing you well. We are wishing you well, as as I think pretty much from the comments on Facebook, I think most of Cambridge is. Of course. Of yeah, course. So of we course. want to give a big shout out to Larry. We're thinking of you and get well soon, Larry. Uh, we're, we're with you. So on to the case, Sarah. What do we have this week? So this week, we are talking about the Gina Grant case. Now, if you are familiar with the Gina Grant case, you, this is going to resonate with you, but let's get right to it. So this year, Harvard received nearly 40,000 applications, Laura. I know. So indeed, hopeful applicants flood Harvard admissions every year. So they really look for an alchemy of, you know, good grades, achievement. And I think they kind of look for a quality of uniqueness as well. And so there was something about Gina Grant that caught Harvard's eye. This was back in 1995, mind you. She was not your typical Harvard applicant. You know, she was a graduate from Cambridge and Latin. We just did a shout out to Larry. And she was also an orphan. So I think it was Gina's kind of pull yourself up from your bootstrap Cinderella story that must have appealed to the Harvard admissions office. The one question they didn't ask her in the interview is, did you kill your mother? Gina, however, was harboring a dark secret from her past, one that would come back to haunt her and capture headlines and put Harvard admissions in the middle of basically a global debate. Was Harvard warranted in rescinding acceptance to Gina Grant, who had previously been convicted of killing her mother? So who was Gina Grant? 
Well, Gina Grant was born in 1978 in Lexington, South Carolina, to parents Charles Grant and Dorothy Dot, she was called, Mayfield. And she had one sister who was nine years older. So in essence, she was really brought up as an only child. And her father, Charles, died when Gina was only 11. He died of lung cancer. And her sister was 20 at the time. And at that time, Dot really descended into alcoholism. This is the mom. The mom, right. And basically became a functional alcoholic. And what I mean by a functional alcoholic was that she was able to go to work every day. Yeah, she worked at a bank. And, you know, there there was, I, I think it was, you know, Laura and I have some disagreement about this, but, I, you know, I think it was a, a home in which what I've read about Dorothy Mayfield is that she was very alcoholic. She was very verbally abusive to Gina. Uh, it was not a good home life. Neighbors noticed you know, the sister would have to bring in food because there would not be food in the house. Um, it was not a good home life for Gina. And no, in, I, I don't dispute you know, that. I think it was a very toxic home environment. I well, just... and, and in fact, you know, she's trying to mourn her dad. And I, I think part of the reason why Dorothy Mayfield descended into alcoholism was the loss of the father. I mean, you know, oh. there was a, you know, I, I'm, I'm not being unsympathetic to Dorothy Mayfield in this case. However, the house that that uh, Gina Grant was living in was really, as you say, it was toxic. Oh know? yeah, I, I I don't dispute that it was a toxic environment. Uh, that's that that is definitely isn't my dispute with the, the situation. I, I mean, I think despite the toxicity, Gina, you know, attends school. She really excels. Oh, she's a high know? achiever. I yeah. mean, there's no doubt about it. She's she's brilliant. She's the president of her class. She's the head of the cheerleading squad, had it, the tennis team, she it, plays basketball. Oh, um, like I think one of the nuances in this too is that sometimes I think when kids come from a very dysfunctional alcoholic house, they become hypervigilant. They become those extra achievers, those perfectionists. The everything, the resume on the outside has to look perfect because the home life is a mess. I mean, apparently she couldn't bring people back to the house. She would go to other kids' houses to so that she wouldn't the the sister was concerned about her being alone at home with the mother. I mean, you know, that's a level of concern that, sure, you know, I but think I mean, when she's know. around 14, she does start to, you know, rebel and act out. And at this point, she meets a boy named Jack Hook, who's 15, and she starts to sneak him into the house. I know. Can't, can't you just picture Jack Hook? I picture Jack Hook as being like the like the leather jacket and like the, you know, the black spiky hair, you know, like the like the guy you don't want your daughter yeah, to bring well, home. I know. Yeah. But in this case, he kind of got the bad end of the deal. Um, you know, but he, you know, he he's kind of the bad boy and, you know, she's sneaking him in and this is causing further, you know, this is causing fights with her mother and her mother doesn't want her sneaking out or her sneaking this boy in. And exactly. You know, and this is, you know, making, causing more disruption in the home. Yes, exactly. And, you know, all of this culminates into, you know, we don't really know exactly what happened, but on September 13th, 1990, this violence explodes and Gina attacks her mother from behind with a crystal candlestick and she savagely attacks her and hits her 13 times in the head and kills her. Yes, that's right. And so in a panic, Gina then calls Jack Hook. And he rushes over and this kind of really just absolutely like incompetent teenage plan to cover up the murder ensues and they and they stick a knife through the mother's throat. 
uh, to make it, try to make it look like suicide. Right, and then they tr take her hand and like put put it around the knife. So her, I mean, I don't know how they were going to explain the thirteen blows to the head, and then the knife, like you'd have thirteen blows to the head, and then stick a knife into your neck. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously this is their kids trying to, and they 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 try to stage the scene. I mean, it is brutal. Do you know, Dorothy Mayfield was unrecognizable. She was she was bludgeoned. Her face, you know, she that that's a level of rage that. Yeah. You I mean, know, she know. didn't hit her once. She hit her, thir I mean, 13 times. I mean, I, you know, I even have kind of like, you know, pretended, you know, to, 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 to take my hand and do this. I mean, this is a, you know, 13 times mm -hmm. a lot of anger and rage. And then they, you know, they call the police. And the, and the police are immediately skeptical I mean, of, of course. Gina's story. And, yeah. and her story, she, she's, she's telling different versions of the story. There was an intruder. It was suicide, which is absurd because nobody would, you know, look like that at, you know, at a, at a suicide. And so, you know, oh, and then she then she decides to blame Jack. Well, that's the, the yeah, exactly, exactly. With when, when all else fails, and you have to understand, like I, you know, you make this point, and I think it's a good one. The optics really do play in this case. Gina is a really pretty, tiny little petite, super. She looks like. She she almost looks like um, Linda Blair from The Exorcist before she goes, you know, completely devil, devil girl. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, even cute. Like, we'll post a picture of her. She's yeah, she's, she's super, very very cute, pretty, very pretty blonde. You know, cute little Southern girl. You know, and so in any case, so but she was arrested that night, and as was Jack, as was Jack. Yep, and then so the police start to to put to piece together the story. Eventually, the full story comes out. Gina confesses and she basically she blames her the you know her mother's abuse and her mother's alcoholism for the murder mind you one point about this is that Dorothy Mayfield when she is killed has an alcohol level of 0 0.3 0 0.3 is basically comatose I mean you're you're 0 0.06 blood alcohol level away from being dead right I mean, so that, she, she, she's dead drunk basically it. yeah and you she, know she obviously couldn't have fought back very hard she couldn't have but if that's an indication of how she drinks every night too that's not a great house to bring up be right but she's dead, be, but you know? she's basically attacking somebody who's really really out of it yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. so she's she's you know I, I'm not feeling that her life was in jeopardy at the time. Let's also say that with Dorothy, you know, we have one side here. We don't have Dorothy Mayfield. You no, know, we to, have witness. to defend right, but we don't have the mm -hmm. victim here to defend what you know the other person in the house here to. But de that's why defend you defend herself, right? But and, in most murder cases, what the, the 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 testimony of witnesses who are around these people who are known quantities is what no 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 murder victim who's dead is going to be able to take the stand. True. However, what you do rely on is the witness testimony of the people who are around this situation. Yeah, but the, the witness, I mean, there's no allegation of any physical abuse here. I mean, we're alleging that, you know, alcoholism, which I, I don't believe deserves uh, the death penalty. No, but I mean, if you are... I mean, if we make it okay for, for, for juveniles to kill their alcoholic parents, we're in for some problems here. So at the time of the crime, Grant was a juvenile. She was only 14. And really the records... I was thinking about this too. Okay, so... I'm not excusing what Gina Grant did. You know, I think it was an extreme 
you know, measure to get out of a toxic household. Certainly, I think her relationship with Jack Hook was a, was a, a you see that sometimes in, in teenage murder cases. It's like, oh, they don't approve and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to run away with my boyfriend. That's the mentality, you know, of a, of a 14 year old. However, you know, I've been looking into uh, parasite, the killing of one's parents, and you see these really brutal crimes with, and, and in 90% of the cases, you see that there was abuse that was involved. And, and it's, I've been, it's kind of interesting because they used to take probably more of the stance you have, Laura, which is to not punish the kid as an adult exactly, but to, to bring, you know, they, they would look at these murders as these unexplainable first degree murders and and punish the kids like that. The they still, but they still do, Sarah. I, I'm not seeing that there's any change in the sentencing. Uh, Gina Grant was was given extremely special treatment to be tried as a juvenile. No, no, no that's actually, I, I, I that's actually. I, I don't see other cases. No, with no, such... no. You, you, you do. I, I've seen many, many cases of kids who, um, instead of being charged with first degree murder, they're actually charged with voluntary manslaughter, which is is what Gina Grant pled to. Now, voluntary and given two years and given less and. Given given no time, only put on probate. So at the time of the crime, Gina Grant was a juvenile. She was 14 and she was tried in, in juvenile court. And she actually, she pled no contest to voluntary manslaughter. Now, voluntary manslaughter, from what I could, from what I researched, was something that they come up with for in cases of parasite, because this has been actually, you know, trying to to punish or trying to adjudicate cases where juveniles have killed their parents when there's abuse that's that's involved. It's it it's gone through kind of a lot of changes in this country. It went from these crimes being looked at purely as first degree crimes, and there's no context of the abuse to going way the other way in which, you know, these juveniles got very, very light sentences and then has kind of come back a little bit more to the middle where, they're, where they have to have some kind of reasonable sentence, basically. But safe to say that Gina Grant was received a very light sentence. A very light, you know. Well, she was very lucky that she was tried in juvenile court because a lot of juveniles have been tried in adult court for these crimes, especially with, um, you know, the level of abuse here and, and True. the level of abuse here being somewhat questionable compared to other cases where you see a lot of physical and sexual abuse by parents by parents to their children right, right. um I, she i consider this an extremely offensive and light sentence but uh, and so what was that sentence she gets sentenced to a juvenile facility possibly until the age of 21 but she ends up doing eight months in this outrageous ju- juvenile facility in South Carolina. Then she, or then her, actually her mother's brother and his wife, who live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, come and kind of plead Gina's case and convince the judge, who is pretty sympathetic to to Gina, extremely sympathetic <laughs> to Gina, to um, manipulated by Gina, if you ask my opinion. Well, yeah, that's your opinion. The um to um to actually remand Gina to their custody and then move to Cambridge where she she has to you know she's she's essentially on parole for the next couple of years so and she attends our high school and uh, actually only a few years after we left 
Yeah, that's right. Because this right. is actually a pretty old case, Sarah. Yeah. So this, yeah. So this is, I mean, the crime takes place in 1990. I, and really, I mean, too, and I'm kind of plead, like, I'm kind of pleading your your version of the case, but really what the, the, the Lexington County Sheriff James Metz, you have to look at this case also from the viewpoint of the police officers. They come to this scene. This woman is bludgeoned beyond recognition. And they, I think they're view of it was Gina Grant got away with murder. They're not supposed to release information to the public. But in this case, uh, the Lexington County Sheriff, James Metz, who handled the original case actually did release her name to the to the press as well as the judge had let in you know tv cameras and that you know they he had let press into the proceedings of the uh, in in the court so this was public information what usually happens in juvenile cases is it sealed is it sealed so and that is in place to you know, protect kids from, you know, they make these stupid, brutal, vicious decisions. Like bludgeoning know. their mother to death. Uh, and then we should, we should protect them for the rest of their lives. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying that that's what happened. And that, and the question ends up being, should, if we're going to have law and order, which does say that, that those records should be sealed if somebody is, is a juvenile, that is the law and order yeah. argument for that that was not done in Gina Grant's yeah. case. I disagree with that. Uh, that part. I mean, I, I honestly, I don't agree with the police releasing that uh, since it's since that wasn't the right thing to do. However, I, I don't agree with that. Uh, if you murder someone, that being sealed. I think that there's, you know, I think the public has a right to know that type of information personally. For, for what? For public safety? Because the, for but, public, yes. No, but, well, but, for public but, safety. But, but the research that I've done is that when parasite or killing of a parent is a particularly brutal event, it's something that I think society doesn't understand very well unless they're in the context of that of that house or that relationship. And the recidivism rate on parasite, on killing one's parent, recidivism meaning, no, you can't go and kill another parent, but to kill another person is extremely low. Right. I, mean, I think I'm, I'm saying murder, if you murder someone as a juvenile, that should be, that shouldn't be sealed, whether it's a parasite or not. I mean, we don't just, you're saying that there's a low recidivism rate. I'm saying it doesn't matter. I mean, very few people actually commit parasite. It's, I'm saying for all juvenile murders, it should be, it should be released. I mean, uh, you know, I'm obviously biased. Somebody in my family was murdered by a juvenile. And this is a kind of thing. I mean, here's the question to the listeners. One of those, it's one of those cases where, you <laughs> it know. It brings up a lot. I it think does. It's, it's a heated, I think it brings up a lot of issues. It brings up juvenile crime. It brings up. And and I mean, if, if do, I guess, to our listeners believe that, that juvenile records should be, should be sealed. I personally do. I, I believe that juveniles don't have a, um, a fully developed brain. There are extenuating circumstances. And and if you are going to be, I think there are cases where people like Gina Grant got absolutely has had, she's gotten her act together. She has, you know, she went to, she went on to go to Cambridge Fringe and Latin. She did a lot of stuff at, at Cambridge Fringe and Latin, like, i.e., you know, helping out underprivileged kids and captain of the tennis team and, <laughs> 
you know, she did a lot of things that, and and I, I guess I don't, I don't believe that that somebody who could have maybe made better decisions than she made in killing her mother should be cursed by that for the rest of her life. Should that one thing define somebody? If you kill somebody in a car at the age of fifteen, should that should that should that just haunt you for the rest of well, your I, life? I think that you most, know? I think that people with, I think most normal people it would haunt, and I think that, but that, haunt- that being that captain of the tennis team and doing well in high school is not penance for killing your mother. And I think that the six months she served, I mean, you know, maybe it's my, you know, my Catholic upbringing, but you're supposed to do some penance for what you did wrong. And I don't see that she, she did any, she served six months. Uh, she didn't, you know, then where's the rehabilitation, you know, doing, but, doing, I was on the tennis team at Ringed Len too. I, I don't see, but, but, but perhaps uh, the rehabilitation should she be come cursed in? with it. Yes. She should be cursed with it that she murdered her mother. But her, she murdered her mother. Her mother wasn't knitting her booties every night. Her mother was not providing food. There, there is some. There, it's not absolutely proven, but there is in some of the reports there is physical abuse. The the psychiatrist. There's no proven. Wait, there's no there's proven the psychiatrist abuse. at the case on the case. The, the, the defense psychiatrist said it was one of the worst cases right. of psychological abuse he had ever right. seen. The, the, the you said she was a manipulative you, killer who, who wanted you, to you've be with got, the boyfriend. Right. Right. And so you've got a kid who from the age of 11 mm-hmm. to 14 who has lost her father, who she was mm-hmm. extremely close to, is, is is cast into this household where they're, where she should be able to come home and get some comfort from grieving her father. And there's no food. There's verbal abuse. There's neglect. There's the house is is not cleaned. I I just you know I I, I have a lot of sympathy for her. I'm okay, sorry. So I think I think they're both victims. I'm right. sorry. So so you know I don't right. think it's a death sentence. But I, I well but, you're you're saying it's a death sentence. No, and she I'm shouldn't not. be saddled by it for the rest of her life. And I'm saying I know what she made a decision to murder her mother. There were other options afforded available to her. I don't. I, I, I highly she, doubt that that was 30 years ago in South Carolina. We hardly had social, you know, capabilities I, up here in liberal Massachusetts. I find it very hard to believe that there I, would I, be. I, I don't actually. I don't. Uh, there were those social services were in place. She had other alternatives. She the first her only alternative was not bludgeoning her mother with the candles thirteen times. I understand, but but we have to we have to look at. You set a precedent for that, then 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 that makes it okay for Alfred. You know, you're, you know what your your mother's alcoholic and won't let you see your boyfriend you can't sneak out to see your boyfriend oh there would then, be there would be like a genocide then right. you know <laughs> and, no and no what i'm that okay no i'm not making that okay what i'm saying is that you you have to this is an extreme case Okay, I mean, I think this is an extreme case, and this is why this the Harvard student body was completely divided. You know, people are. This is very fifty fifty. The the way it is with with us. I mean, I see. I think what you what you know. If if I understand your your point of view, Laura, and I respect it. You see it from the law enforcement point of view. But I think that if you can't, if you don't look at these murders, these a child killing their parent in the context of everything. that's happening. And I get your point that you don't think it's as bad as a lot of these other cases that we... Well, I mean, I just think Gina is is a really cute, smart, brilliant 
liar who wanted to be with her boyfriend and was getting caught sneaking out and sneaking him in and murdered her mother over it. And I've seen other people, other cases where this is the same situation and they get life sentences. I think she was an expert manipulative liar. And Sarah, weren't there other situations where she was caught lying? Yeah, but I I think you, if you, it's sort of textbook Al-Anon. I mean, if you, like I I had made the point before, I mean, what you, kids, of alcoholics generally tend to be kind of vigilant. They tend to cover up things. They tend to be very good liars. So it's that situation kind of creates itself in some funny way. But right before the murder, Gina Grant had snuck off to spend the night with her boyfriend, Jack Hook. And um, and when her mother confronted her about this or, you know, or, you know, where have you been? She had made up the story that she had been abducted by a middle-aged man from, I don't know, a sporting event, some kind of football or soccer game mm-hmm. from the school. So in other words, and then of course we know about the lying around the uh, around the murder. So she she goes to our high school, uh, really actually only a few years after we leave our high school, and she excels in every way at our high school, which is actually a very unique place. And and it affords people a great many opportunities. Our high school, yeah. And uh, one of one of those opportunities that it affords people is some Ivy League opportunities. And she is accepted at Harvard. Of 1995, Gina was admitted to Harvard. And so she had told Harvard during an interview that her mother had died in an accident. So one of the funny twists in this (laughs) is that Gina Grant was also featured in an article in the Boston Globe magazine. This was April 2nd, 1995, about students who had overcome difficult situations. And so once that article gets published, someone anonymously sends both Harvard and the globe clippings uh, about the murder of Gina's sentencing. To me, this is all very narcissistic. She she allows the globe to do a feature on her when she's been not she hasn't been forthcoming with Harvard. Um, why would you allow yourself to be in the spotlight when you're not being completely forthcoming? This puts her in the spotlight and allows her her past to be completely uncovered. Right. And this almost shows to me the degree of her ego and uh, you know her narcissism that she's willing to put this all out there and thinks that none of this will be uncovered. That's right. So mind you, that article was featured in Boston Globe magazine April 2nd, 1995 by April ninth or I think it's seventh or the ninth, Harvard rescinds her acceptance and says, no, thank you, Gina Grant. So, and this explodes. I mean, this is like national news. She becomes like cause celeb in Massachusetts to part of Massachusetts. Right. To like like Alan Dershowitz is on board. And and really the Harvard student body is completely split 50-50. Half of Harvard thinks, you know, hey, it's kind of pro-Harvard on this and half of Harvard is pro Gina on this now? You know, which is a kind of it's 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 kind of an uh, an interesting argument. And so what what her lawyer Margaret Burnham, Gina's lawyer, says is that you know Harvard has no right to have rescinded the application that you know, rescinded the the acceptance, and that what Harvard's basis for it is that Gina was untruthful. And there's some 
skirmish about that, basically. And I think it's kind of an interesting one because, and I kind of agree with with one person who said that if Gina had claimed that her, she said, you know, hey, my dad died, you know, my mother, you know, at the age 11, my, my mother died in an accident, quote unquote, and I was left an orphan. What's interesting to me about this is that I believe that's the very story. Her story of being an orphan is what got her into Harvard because they, you know, they they have a million applicants, right, who have checked all the boxes and they're looking for people who are kind of unique. And when you look at somebody, that's a compelling story of like, I went through all this hardship and I, I pulled myself out and I look at how well I'm doing. I, I, I tutor underprivileged kids. I'm the captain of this and that team. I'm sure Harvard was like, oh my gosh, you know, a self-starter. This is somebody we need. But so the irony is, I think the very story that got her into Harvard was also the story that, you know, where they stepped back from it and said, you know, no, she wasn't truthful. Now her lawyer says, look, she, she's not under any obligation to tell them about a supposedly sealed juvenile case. But she wasn't you know? forthcoming. And I, I don't think that she's owed any type of private education. I also think it creates a great deal of liability for the institution. I absolutely support Harvard's decision to rescind her her, her acceptance and um, Columbia and Barnard rescinded her acceptance as and well. She, she ended up going to Tufts, but I mean, who the, stepped up and then they went and took the expense and, and uh, putting and, her in a private, in room. a private room because nobody, you know, the reality and I, I read many opinion pieces on this from people at Tufts and at Harvard. Nobody wants to room with her, which, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want my daughter, I, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of liability issues to this and uh, Harvard would have a tragedy a month after this situation happened um, that would really bring this point home. That's right. They uh, there was actually a a, a murder suicide of two uh, female roommates in Dunster House about a month after Gina's uh, acceptance was rescinded. Not not related at all, but it did. I I think in in some ways the the Gina Grant thing at Harvard got completely overshadowed by this awful you know, murder-suicide that took place basically a month later right. at Harvard. We'll we'll cover that case. That's the Sinodu uh, Tadase um, case. And uh, we'll cover that in a future episode. But, it, you know, it, this, this we, we again, it, and I, I think this is an interesting case. Laura and I have definitely, you know, we're not going to get a divorce over this. But, <laughs> you know, but we, we basically... We might have a brief separation. <laughs> I think Gina Grant should have, you know, should have paid for for the murder of her mother. I don't think that she that uh, she served anywhere near a, a decent sense for the for the life of her mother and And you did research into other juveniles who had committed who had committed similar crimes and had gotten just huge um you know sentences so can you tell our listeners a little bit about most juveniles who commit these type of crimes are tried as adults that's outrageous and given and given you know uh, 20 to 20 to life i mean this is an extremely unusual case i um, I know that there are, you know, there has been some shifts in that with with uh, abuse, but um, for the most part, most kids who who are involved in this level of brutality are tried as adults. Gina Grant was extremely lucky. I disagree, but I'm interested to hear what the listeners have to say about this case. 
It's definitely an interesting case. It brings up a lot of debate. There's a lot of stuff online. Welcome everybody to research it themselves and love to hear what they have to say. And really my opinion, I think Harvard was completely within its rights to to rescind. And they, they have actually rescinded other acceptances of people who they, you know, have, it's been discovered that, you know, they have had crimes in their past and that kind of thing. I mean, I, I look at it like, I don't know, I don't think Gina Grant was under any onus to answer any questions to Harvard. Uh, it's unfortunate for her that what should have been sealed, uh, a sealed court document was leaked, you know, to the public. And then that, then Harvard and other institutions were given access to that. However, I, I do think they were completely within their rights. I mean, if you look at it, like if you have an interview with Harvard and then they find out that you cheated on an exam, you know, and you, had, you weren't forthcoming about it. That's a basis for, you know, I mean, other people have, you know, applied to Harvard and then they have, Harvard has done its due diligence and find, found out that, you know, they've got, you know, a swastika on their Facebook page and then they are not accepted. I mean, you know, so the, so the level, I think it, you know, Harvard makes its decisions, whether you agree with it or not, I think based on the kind of student population they, they want to have in, in their, um, you know, however, I, I do, the irony in this case is I think the very thing that made Gina Grant an interesting applicant to them, which was the pull yourself up by your bootstraps, was the very thing that came. Well, came I don't in. think they knew that she was an orphan um, by her own making. Right. That's true. And I think she was sensed on her potential, not on, uh, I think. If that's she, a good point. I think if she didn't have great grades, then uh, she may still be in prison today. Yeah, maybe, maybe be yeah in any case well we this is a case we really would love your feedback on because again i think we we do our best to really deep dive and, and research but there's no sort of real one answer to this case it's up for debate and we want to hear back from and want participation from our listeners and about we get this. heated here oh god did we ever <laughs> did we ever figuratively uh, and uh, literally because yeah. it's 100 out today <laughs> <laughs> keep cool guys and keep curious thanks <laughs>